Well, good morning, church. Good morning, City Life. Uh, thank you so much for allowing me to share the word with you again this morning. I still can't believe Pastor Pedro and the oversight team has let me come back to preach again after my first go-round. Just kidding. Um, if we haven't met already, my name is Ryan Dominguez, and I'm the creative pastor here at City Life, and I'm coming to you live from the place I've usually led worship for our church in the last 11 and a half months, my uh, home office, my home gym, my home recording studio, um, and actually the best, the place with the best lighting um, in our house um, and the quietest, especially it's a snow day today and uh, my son's home from school. So this is the best place for us to speak together today, my bedroom. Um, but since today I've been given uh, the privilege of preaching again, I want to mix things up a little bit and I wanted to start out by showing you a super short video. And this video is um, of an art form uh, that I've never actually tried, but I really appreciate and I've always been drawn to because I think it's an almost perfect presentation of how I believe God builds his dream home here on earth, how God crafts his church. So in the words of legendary New York, sports, New York City sportscaster Warner Wolf, let's go to the videotape. So as we saw in our video, um, it was really fast, first of all, but I hope you caught all of it. Um, it's a video on how to make a mosaic planter, right? And it becomes this planter in which you put a, a brand new plant that you want to thrive and grow. Um, but there are a couple required steps. So um, as we get into the message this morning um, that I'm calling From Shattered to Gathered, um, let's pray really quick and then we'll get into our points, okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your word that is always timely, your word that is timeless and that is alive as we've been reading your scriptures, as we've been reading um, Ephesians in our mystery sermon series. Um, your word tends to just jump off the page at us and, and illuminates um, not just um, metaphors and ideas of your kingdom uh, when it was first presented and revealed to your saints and scribes, um, but it, it makes so much sense now in how you're crafting, continuing to craft your church um, and your kingdom here on earth. So we ask God that you would speak through your word um, and not through me, but through your spirit uh, into the hearts of each of us here today to remind us that you love us that you love us so dearly and you want to come live in and amongst us. Uh, you view that as your dream home um, and that you, you bring us together um, all so that we would know 
your love and be a part of your family. God, we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So our first point today, I'm calling shattered, right? So as we saw in the video, in the very beginning, again, it was super fast, so I totally understand if you didn't catch it, but we understand that um, earthenware vessels, whether, you know, plates or, or fine china, um, has to be broken or shattered to make the shards that become the pieces of our mosaic planner, right? And actually, in the beginning of the video, again, super fast, um, there are these special tools that are created in order to kind of fine-tune and reshape and trim or, or clip these shards to make them fit um, the design that the craftsperson has in mind. So I, I want to invite you to think of these plates or these earthenware vessels as um, kind of representational, right? And, and things that are symbolic of plates that you might put on the shelf of your life right, um, that kind of represent who you are or maybe who you want other people to know of you. Uh, I'm talking, you know, kind of like grandma's special family china, the family heirloom china that sits on the shelf, right, um, that no one ever touches, really. People often forget to dust, at least in my family. Um, and, and they very, very rarely, if ever, eat off of, right? They're that special. They're that cherished, again, because they're symbolic of of who we want people to know we are or what we want to know of ourselves and our family. So um, this reminds me of, of the fine china in my aunt's house, not my grandma's house, but we would never ever use it. We would just stay up on that shelf, but eventually one of my cousins got really bold and asked if he could um, play, not with a plate, never a plate, but with these little thingies, these little display thingies that my aunt had the plates on um, because we didn't have many toys at her house. She didn't have any children of her own. Um, so we would play with these things and we would turn them uh, into guns. Pew, pew. So all of that to frame just how precious these plates are, right? They're parts of our identity, things that we want to be known for, right? And so they're super precious. So now continuing with that metaphor, imagine what our identities are with each of these plates it's like spinning or juggling plates. I don't know if you've ever seen this in a circus or something, but you, you place these, you spin these plates and you place them on these tall sticks and keep them going. So our lives then are comprised of spinning each of these plates and trying to keep them all level and balanced and spinning at the same time, right? And inevitably, um, as, as you saw in that graphic, it's really, really hard, if not impossible, to keep them all spinning at the same time. And what eventually happens? That's right, they fall and they shatter. They fall to the ground and they shatter for one reason or another. And what do we learn from that kind of shattering of these elements, these aspects of our personality? Well, we learn that not one of them, not one of these shallow plates or, or earthenware vessels can possibly fill our deep desire for belonging, right? Think about it. They're plates. They're not very deep. They're very shallow. How much belonging can they hold? This reminds me of, of high school, right? In high school, um, in my graduating class, there were two other kids named Ryan, right? Uh, fun fact, uh, in the decade I was born in the 1990s, 
Uh, Ryan was the 14th most popular boy's name. Uh, you can Google it on Wikipedia or something. But, and actually, uh, when Clara and I came to City Life back in 2015, there were actually four Ryans, four of us including me. Um, and that was back when we were meeting back in the art gallery. Um, <laughs> long story short, if you think about these earthly allegiances, these shallow dishes holding our shallow senses of belonging, um, they really can't fulfill our deep desire to belong. But um, in my graduating class, Ryan C. was really good at running, so he became known as, as track and field Ryan. Right? And then Ryan L. was on the debate team, so he became known as Debater Ryan. And uh, myself, Ryan D., well, I was uh, the biggest band geek. Right? And I'm going to actually show you a picture of that because it's really funny. I was the biggest band geek. Yeah, that's me right there. I hope I'm showing that right. And uh, because I was the biggest band geek, I naturally didn't have any friends who were jocks or preppies. Uh, but I did become known as uh, Music Ryan. And actually, uh, I was voted not to boast, because we only boast in Christ. But I was voted as one of the most musical high school class as well. So uh, if you ever need any blackmail material, just find my yearbook. But so while the other Ryans and I shared a name, and you know a little bit of belonging there derived from our, our names and identities, um, we had very different interests that really defined um, our personalities and our senses of belonging in a very shallow way, but uh, defined our senses of belonging for at least four years. Right? But then we graduated back in 19 schmarny schmarn, uh, save the best for last. Uh, those plates or these dishes really uh, shattered, right? They no longer defined us or our allegiances or held any sense of belonging for us. And look, uh, I'm not saying that earthly allegiances um, are necessarily bad or evil, right? Um, they're, they're good things. Um, but what I am saying is that any one of them overdone to a point, or if we try to find our sense of belonging in, in any one of them, if we try to meet our sense of belonging fully in any one of them, um, it can lead to idolatry, right? Because it, it can't fully meet our sense of belonging. And what we end up doing is excluding others in order to preserve that sense of belonging. Ultimately, though, our sense of belonging is, is not ever fully met outside of our identity. In Christ, right? Let me say that again. Our deepest sense of belonging is not ever fully met outside of our identity in Christ. But listen to this, okay? And, and this is going to be our big idea of the day. Christ fulfills our need to belong by making, part, making us part of his dream home. Let me say that again. God fulfills our need to belong or our desire to belong by making us part of his dream home. He breaks us free from all false senses of belonging and transforms us into his dwelling place here on earth. 
And, you know, while we're on this topic of, of earthly allegiances that can uh, verge on idolatry, uh, I want to take this moment, allow me this moment, to speak on uh, this topic while it's fresh in my heart. So over the last, I want to say, 18, probably closer to 24 months to two years, um, I've been reflecting on the allegiance to white supremacy in this country and in the church today, and also the complete lack of accountability with, for, uh, for wickedness that is aligned in preserving white supremacy. Um, and suffice it to say that I've been brokenhearted to see just how rampant this is in our culture um, and in the church at large. Um, but I'm also really frustrated. And I'm frustrated um, not just by the wickedness that's perpetrated in allegiance to this, uh, to this idol, really, but it's just that I, I still don't understand. I, I don't understand how this exists in God's society today. And on top of that, I, I really struggle to find the words to explain it to my son, who's four going on five. Um, I'm thankful, though, that God has been giving me clearer vision and a bolder voice to, to say that this is not right, right? And that it's not a part of God's heart for anyone to claim superiority or anyone to claim that someone else is inferior in the way that they're made by God. So City Life, I'm honored to speak on this just very briefly. And I just want to say um, we rebuke anyone who would exclude others from the family of God or invoke supremacy or superiority for themselves and inferiority for anyone else, especially based on the color of one's skin. And the fact that any notion of supremacy outside of the supremacy of Christ, it's pharisaical. It's pharisaical judgment. It's wicked idolatry. And it's downright evil. So I just want to take this, this brief moment to pray over and against this kind of allegiance, this kind of sense of belonging that comes from something so hideous that excludes others and elevates others when God says nothing of the sort. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your heart for each and every one of us. We thank you that you have imbued us with your image, and so you declare us good and pleasing to you all through Christ who sanctifies us, all who, through Christ who saves us, who washes us clean. And we know that in your word it, it says nothing of the sort about anyone being superior or supreme or anyone being inferior or less than we've all been created in your image. God, we, we, we lay down these allegiances. We let go of these and we allow them to shatter any one of them that says that I'm better than another, anyone that elevates me above another. Because ultimately, God, we all have sinned and we all fall short of your glory. It's only through Christ and through grace that we've been saved, that we've been made washed clean and can be seen as pure and holy to be in your presence. So much so that you want to live and dwell in and amongst us. So 
So God, we ask you to have your way, to transform us, and again, to just continue to break off any of these false idols, any of these allegiances or senses of belonging to things that are not of you or that reflect your heart. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you, church. I really needed to, to just get that off my chest, but also just ask you for your prayer and helping me process it and helping me explain it to, to my son and to the, the next generation. Because, um, I again, I don't get it. I don't get it. I just know that it's wrong. And um, I know that Scripture uh, doesn't say anything to that effect. Um, so let's jump back, right? Let's jump back into, well, into my story. Uh, with regard to earthly allegiances, God has been showing me um, how he's transforming my, me and my family all through the story of my family. He's just shown me that I, I had been clinging to a shallow sense of belonging in trying to uh, preserve the family name um, and trying to preserve, um, you know, the, the ideals that my family taught me when I was younger um, and uh, showed me that, that some of those desire, some of that belonging was found in um, inadequate, false, and, and biased thoughts and views on race. So, uh, yeah. Believe it or not, there was a time in my life that I really never thought or even wanted to get married, let alone have kids. And probably contributing to that subconsciously was the fact that my family had those backwards and false and biased thoughts on race. But uh, until about the age of 28 or 29, I really did believe that I should and that I would remain single and not have kids. I thought it was for the best. But then I met Jesus, and he changed everything. He began to teach me how marriage is the perfect picture, the perfect picture of how he sacrifices for each of us and brings us into his family. And then I met Clara, and God changed my mind again about love, and he changed my heart about having kids, right? And then, you know, a few years down the road, we found out that we couldn't have biological kids, but God had led us separately and then together to pursue adoption. He showed us that adoption is another perfect picture of how God brings us into his family. And God both gave us the desire for adoption and the desire to adopt someone who looks different to both of us, right? Because we also look different to one another. If you haven't met my wife, she is Caucasian and English. Um, so God gave us the, the desire to um, adopt someone who looked different to us. Um, and so given what I told you about my family earlier, it wasn't surprising that they were not pleased or not thrilled with the plans that God had given us. But God Right, Pastor Pedro highlighted that last week in our reading from Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. But God, he gave us, graciously gave us Ezra. And now my family, again, is forever changed. So now Ezra has a 97-year-old porcelain-skinned Filipino great-grandma who now has a Caucasian-English granddaughter-in-law with the last name Buckley and a black great-grandson with the last name Buckley Dominguez both of whom I'm happy to say she's met, she's embraced, and she's tried to overfeed <laughs> as a sign of her love. See, 
As I said before, God fulfills our need, our deep need to belong by making us part of his dream home here on earth. He breaks us free from those false senses of belonging and transforms us into his dwelling place here on earth. How about this, for example, this handsome saint? He is a great example of putting off false belonging in favor of true belonging in heaven. This is my bro, Ro. You guys may have seen him leading worship here at City Life for over the past two years, and he's also faithfully been serving on City Life's oversight team for more than a year. But what you may not know is that Oro works as a civil engineer, right? And in the concrete industry. Uh, that's right, the concrete industry. It's really hard to picture with Ro because he is such a kind and gentle soul. But in the concrete industry, we, we kind of tend to think of it as being gruff or hard, right? But let's take a look now at what the CEO of his company had to say upon Ro's recent promotion at work. It says, Roe is entrusted, Ramel or Roe is tr- entrusted to help others grow, is a key member of the kind department. He treats everyone with a unique culture of kindness, and this is my favorite part, which is hard pressed to find in this thankless, rough, and tumble business. Isn't that amazing? He works in concrete, but he is kind an encourager, and he encourages others to grow. So instead of clinging to a false sense of belonging found in that rough and tumble business and adopting its mannerisms, Roe exudes nurturing and kindness, which helps others grow and is contagious, making him a natural leader. Encouragement and kindness, uh, those are characteristics that I think are quintessential to showing someone's membership in God's family or God's new society. I'll say it again. God fulfills our deepest need to belong by making us part of his dream home. He breaks us free from false senses of belonging and transforms us into his dwelling place here on earth. Hey, but don't just take it from me. Let's read our scripture passage for today. It's going to be found in Ephesians 2. 11 to 22. So you take out your Bibles and read along with us, and if not, it will be on the screen. It says this, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who are near, for through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, 
Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This leads me to my uh, first point today. Shattered. Paul here is writing to the Gentile Christians in Ephesus who have been getting shaded and throwing shade right back at the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, mainly because the Jewish Christians don't really want to let the Gentiles in and let them belong to the church on account of them not being circumcised. We read that in the early verses there. Because all Jewish Christians have been circumcised and their Jewish predecessors had been circumcised. See, the Jewish Christians were still clinging to that sense of belonging they had in being Jewish or being of Abraham, rather than their new identity and eternal belonging in Christ. And while trying to control who was allowed into the family of God, these Jewish Christians were creating unnecessary tension or enmity between them and the Gentile Christians. Theologian John Stott puts it this way, Both the physical right and the word had come to assume an exaggerated importance, Gentiles and Jews regularly called each other derogatory names. It's as if Paul is declaring the unimportance of names and labels in comparison with the reality behind them, hinting that that behind what is called a circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. There is another kind, a circumcision of the heart, spiritual, not physical, which was needed by and available to both Jews and Gentiles. As we can see in in the, the Jewish Christians, We want to belong so deeply, and we seek it in these earthly allegiances, right? These these earthenware vessels that um, can't fulfill our deep sense of belonging, but they eventually isolate and enslave us, and then they create enmity or conflict between us and others, and conflict between us and God. But here's the good news. Because God loves us so much and wants to dwell in and amongst us as his dream home, he was willing to endure being rejected, injured, condemned, and killed, all so that we would find not rejection, but belonging, not enmity, but peace, not condemnation, but freedom, and not death, but life in community with each other and with him. That's why he breaks us free of those shallow or false senses of belonging and transformed us into his dream home here on earth. I want to take us back a few steps, back to the mosaic planter. Um, But first, I'd like to show you this really cool picture. Take a look at the hands of a craftsperson who works with this style of mosaic pottery. Isn't that another stunning picture of the gospel? (laughs) I know, I'm kind of taking you through a gallery of God's greatest masterpieces of how he shows his love for us, right? First was the finished product of the planter, then we talked about marriage, then we talked about adoption, and now even the artist's hands. I tend to think in pictures, right? So especially after we read Ephesians 2.10, my favorite verse in all of scripture last week, Um, about being God's workmanship or his masterpiece. So bear with me, okay? You're probably thinking, hey, Ryan, what does a dirty, bandaged hand have to do with Jesus? Think about it. (laughs) 
This craftsperson is willing to work with hazardous and jagged materials, these shards of broken things that others would have just thrown away for the purpose of creating this more beautiful vessel. In the same way, God was willing to endure being rejected, injured, condemned, and killed by us, all so that we would find belonging, peace, freedom, and life in community with him and one another. At least in, in my story, I know for sure that God has endured me being at times distant, cold, sharp, abrasive, yet he still pursued me and he still pursues each of us relentlessly. Some songwriters even say recklessly. But whenever I picture Jesus on the cross, I am reminded that my sins are represented in every one of his lashes and his bruises and his wounds. So when I see this hand, it reminds me of the same thing. We thank you, Father, for your grace. You've endured so much, all to show us your love. You've endured rejection, injury, condemnation, and death, all so that we could find belonging, peace, freedom, and life in you. Thank you, Father. Amen. Okay, so now let's really go back to the second step in making this kind of pottery, right? And my second point today is new purpose and peace. It involves the, the craftsperson purposely selecting each shard and deciding where it belongs and should be bonded in the shape of the planter, right? The act of the potter intentionally choosing which pieces from the random mix of shards just shows how intentionally, based on their whole design, um, they've chosen these pieces. And it really requires that each shard, uh, by definition, no longer or ceasing to be a part of its former whole, right? It's broken off. Broken off, and now it's used in this new purpose or design by the craftsperson to become one of many broken things used to adorn and create this new dwelling place for life. Right? It's a planter, so a new living plant goes into it. This, I believe, is the process of sanctification in a nutshell. Again, another great picture of God's love and how he transforms us. Sanctification is just a big theological word for the process of the Holy Spirit making us more like Jesus. At Alliance Theological Seminary, where Pastor Pedro and I graduated from, Drs. Ron and Wando Walborn teach four types of sanctification, um, and the one that I think sticks out the most in terms of uh, the mosaic planter. Again, sanctification is, there's four types, but my, my one that I think most uh, encapsulates the mosaic planter is the type of sanctification, sanctification called crisis sanctification. The Walborns teach that crisis moments of sanctification are moments when the Holy Spirit comes and grabs an area of life and claims you. It's like when the craftsperson chooses each shard from amongst the others, right? It's, it's like the craftsperson's saying to the shard. <laughs> another man's trash is another man's treasure, right? Uh, the Walborns uh, think God says this to us when he chooses us and repurposes us. It's as if he says, others may find belonging in the old things, but I've called you into deeper, so that's not for you anymore. See, God uh, reorders the broken pieces of our longing for belonging, and he brings us into alignment with his purpose. 
Paul writes in verses 12 to 13 um, of Ephesians 2 that he brings near to him those who are separated from Christ, alienated from Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world, and being far off from Christ. And he brings them into the same pot, if you will. He brings us all into the same pot, the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians, but all of us, right? John Stott, the theologian, again, writes this. This, then, was the achievement of Christ's cross. First, he abolished the law, its ceremonial regulations and moral condemnation, as a divisive instrument separating men from God, men from God, and Jews from Gentiles. Secondly, he created one new single humanity out of its two former deep divisions, making peace between them. Right? God is making peace between all of us because we have all fallen short of the glory of God through sin. He unites us in this new purpose. Right? He aligns us together to use us in a new way and thus brings peace between each of us. He even brings peace uh, between us and those whose alignments, or sorry, allegiances um, to former senses of belongings may have been enemies or hostile to our former allegiances or senses of belonging. But because of God's forgiveness and grace that he's shown to us through Christ, we can extend that very same forgiveness and grace to previous enemies and to previous people who we have excluded or been excluded by. So now for step three in this process, and my point is that God is turning us and transforming us into a dream home, right? Step three in this process involves a craftsperson. After, after the craftsperson bonds the different shards in place in the shape of the new planter, he fills, he or she fills the remaining space in between with a mortar, right? Some sort of paste that bonds everything together. It unifies and creates a level surface of the whole design, right? The mortar both fills the negative space and it also buffers the often sharp and jagged edges of the shards, right? Those broken pieces that were clipped or just just broken are often sharp. We talked about that before, that the, the sharpness and the brokenness that we have in our personalities, God has endured that, right? But um, the mortar here in, in the planter adheres them together and he brings peace between them so that those pointy, the, the pointy parts are no longer in conflict with one another. And this mortar creates a, su- a smooth and seamless surface, which becomes more pleasing to the eye and more pleasing to the touch. In the final step, the excess mortar is brushed away or wiped away. It's cleansed, right? And what it does is it reveals the individual beauty of each of these shards, right? And they kind of, to me, they emerge like jewels from the mortar, kind of like these precious jewels, depending on how colorful or shiny they are. So each individual beauty of each shard shines, but then also the collective beauty of the overall design shines, right? It's, it's no longer these random broken edgy pieces that are dangerous and, and sharp and, and hard, hard to touch, but it becomes this beautiful overall structure of previously dangerous and pieces in conflict, um, all together united in this beautiful design. There's this harmony, 
right? That comes from it. Sorry, I had to throw in the music word as a worship pastor. Um, But in the same way, the blood of Christ unites and buffers the fragments of each of us in integrated wholes, but then also integrated into the whole of his body, right? Verses 14 to 16, he makes one new man or one new humanity, so making peace in his body. See, the blood of Christ is poured out for all of us to atone for each of our individual sins. Some may be committed in the service of these former allegiances or these false allegiances. And then he's also poured out his blood um, to atone for our communal sins. And again, some of those have been committed in the service of communal allegiances. And what it does is it paints us all with the broad brush stroke of those who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right, Romans 3.23, we said that earlier, and also the fact that we have been called children of wrath in Ephesians 2.3, right? But God, right? But God again, through Christ, through the blood of Christ, washes us all clean and reconciles us to each other and finally to God, thereby killing the hostility. In this cleansing process, again, it reveals the richness of God's kingdom, Right, because we see our individual shine as these precious jewels in the new home, in God's new dream home. Right, but then it also reveals the richness of His grace. Right, because He creates one new family out of disparate tribes, nations, and tongues. He brings us all together in one family, His family. And finally, it, it reveals the immeasurable depths of His love. Right, we talked about before God enduring. Um, rejection and injury and condemnation and death, murder, right? But his grace has transformed us into place into the place he wants to live. He no, no, no longer wants to live in a distant heaven, but he wants to make his heavenly home here in and amongst us. And bringing peace and unity between men and between men and God through the blood and cross of Christ, God transforms us into his dream home and comes to dwell in us. So in conclusion then, brothers and sisters, what is our response to God's love? Again, that love that endured rejection and injury, condemnation and murder, all so that we could know belonging, true belonging, peace, freedom, and life and community with him and one another. What do we do with that? How do we begin, how do we begin to live out being God's dream home? How do we do that? Well, it's not just because I'm the worship leader, but my recommendation is that we worship. We worship as uh, as as in abandon. We we worship with abandon and in surrender. And, and what does surrender look like? Two words: let go. Right, and we we, we let go of of these these ideas and and control. Right, we let go of trying to find shallow belonging and earthly allegiances. And we know and and pursue true belonging and deep, deep belonging, complete belonging in our heavenly citizenship in Christ. Then we also let go of trying to control how we want God to use us and we submit to his purpose, right? In the same way that each shard in the planter um, ceases to belong, to be, ceases to be a part of its former whole, finds new and greater purpose in belonging to the new home, right? And then lastly, 
we let go of trying to control who is a part of God's family, who gets in, who doesn't, right? We saw that with the Jews and the Gentile Christians, that there was just that um, exclusion of one another, and they tried to control who could belong in God's family. But God shows us that instead of raising our arms in worship, which is always recommended, maybe do a little bit less of this and a little bit more of this. Instead of lifting our arms in worship, we, we open them wide to embrace the diversity, the multifaceted beauty of God's children, whomever and wherever they are. We welcome them into peace relationships with us and God. We, we get rid of that conflict and that enmity. We become this home together. We become family together. We begin to represent the kingdom better, and we begin to be inhabited God's presence better. I, I really do. I really do believe that if we can grow in worshiping in this surrendered way where we let go of these things, we'll start to catch glimpses of God's master craftsmanship because that's who he is. He is the master craftsman. And we'll catch glimpses of his work in and around city life, in our city, in our communities, because we'll be hosting his presence more, more and more as he makes himself at home in us, his dream home. Amen? Amen. Thank you so much, church, for letting me share that with you today. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that your word is alive. We thank you that though it was written and recorded millennia ago, it is still active and at work and not just relevant, but very acutely and very accurately reflects our lives today. We ask, God, that you would continue to be patient with us, continue to show us your grace as we break ourselves, as you break us free from false belonging, from false identities and things that are of the earth and pass away, but that you would renew and continue to encourage us to, to grab a hold of and embody our identities in you, and that we find our true belonging in family in your kingdom, as your temple, as your dream home here on earth. We thank you for this honor, God. We thank you for this privilege. And we ask you to empower us, embolden us, to welcome more and more into that kingdom, family, and temple that you desire to dwell in. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. You didn't think I forgot about our discussion prompts, did you? <laughs> well, this week we have three, and uh, we'll discuss these in our missional community groups um, after service ends. So the first one is this. Which of these is the hardest for you to let go of and why? Where we talked about the things we need to let go of in order to be able to worship and embrace more people into God's family. We want to let go of control when we try to control who else gets into God's family. And we want to let go of control of how God uses us. So which one is harder for you to let go of and why? Problem number two is, why do you think it's so hard to let go of these earthly allegiances? Why is it so hard to let go of these former senses of belonging? And number three, it's simply this. Who is God telling you to embrace? Or welcome into his family. Who is he telling you to stop doing this 
go around and do this more of. Thank you so much, church. It's been my honor. It's been my privilege. Um, hope to see you in the missional community calls and to, to process some of these discussion prompts a little bit more and just to, to begin and continue worshiping with you in this way, but also to, to pray and dream about being God's dream home together um, as soon as we can regather. Uh, we love you guys. We'll see you then. Take care.